everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Sierra and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. I wanted out, so I dropped my dance major to a minor, got out with 184 units. I graduated with 184 units, and um, which is a lot for people who aren't on the quarter system. <laughs> and, um, I'm going to guess. I think it was 136 when I was it, there. So. Yeah, it was for, like, yeah, for, for one major, it was one, 124 or something like that, and I, I ended up with 184 units. Anyway, so I learned a lot. Um, and, and then uh, my dance career pretty much ended with an injury when I was 37 and I was transitioning at the same time to doing gardening. And so it ended up here I am. So. Wow. Uh, Mark, why don't you go ahead and start now, start recording and uh, we'll, oh, you already have. Why everybody. Hi. Um, <laughs> spare all the introductions. You, you can, you've heard Christy and I talking. She just gave you a, a, just a little bit about her college side. Um, I'll uh, give a uh, prize away. To anybody that's on right now that will tell the audience through the question and answer box, what is the mascot of the University of California, Irvine? I just gave a little bit of a hint with my uh, Oh, you did? I didn't, I didn't hear that. So, <laughs> um, let me tell you what it's not, but this is for another University of California institution, which is Actually, I'm going to get this wrong because I don't think it's fully. It's sea slugs. You see Santa Cruz. It's, it's, it's the banana slug. slug. It's the slug. banana slug. My my husband oh. is a banana slug. He went to UC oh. uh, Santa Cruz. So we've got okay. we've got a banana slug in the house. And a did anybody get it? Mark, you're looking probably at the question. Um, we, we'll wait. We'll wait a little bit. But we'll we'll give a prize to somebody who gets it. By the way, that was done. So you. Irvine started in 67. Um, I actually went to another college for my first two years. And so I was a junior, junior and senior year at Irvine. So 71 to 73. I think it was 68 or 69 is when they chose this mascot name. And it was totally a joke. People did not think that it would stick. And, uh, and I heard that from I mean, classmates who were there at the time uh, when the choice was made. Anybody, Mark, that's getting it, getting close to it or anything? Um, it's okay. anteaters, so you uh, you missed not, it. Not, not. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this um, is the symbol of the By anteater. the way, it, is it, 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 when you were there, it's been a little while ago, but it, was it still pretty liberal arts-ish compared to, let's say, if you went to UCLA and measured in dance, mayor, majored in dance, I mean, to where... I, I'm much the same way. I don't know how many credits I had, but it was way more than the amount. I did have a double major in engineering and biology, but shoot, I I took some amazing classes outside of the major, and the, the most incredible one was in um, was in journalism, um, and the, the instructor was a guy that wrote feature articles every month in the Good Housekeeping magazine, which sounds like, wow, what's that? No, they were amazing, and they could be on anybody. And he had two criteria for the grades in the class. If you showed up at all the classes and just did the work, you got to see. If you had an article published in either a newspaper or something like that, you got to be. If you got an article published in a real refereed magazine, you got an A, and he didn't expect any A's, mm. and um, and it was amazing. I mean, really learned from it. And, and most of the people taking it were English majors, or and I'm a biology and engineering, and I was out of my league in that class. So. Was, yeah, was we, your was dance, or was it? Were you a lot of dance and, and, and lesser of other things? Well, the, the thing about arts majors is they're required to do all of their general ed in addition to their course material for their major. So we had, like you, had to take a whole bunch of different courses. So I took, you know, biopsychology, I think was one of the more interesting courses I took. I took a lot of writing classes. 
and uh, and anthropology and whatnot. So there were and oh, and I took Italian for two years. So I studied Italian every single day for two years. And my plan had been to move to Italy at the end uh, after the you know kind of finish out the decade, but that didn't happen. <laughs> so here I am. Well, let's continue with that on that um, direction. Um, the, other, the rest of the audience wasn't there when she gave a, a really kind of a summary of her earlier life, but why don't you start and take us college and beyond sort of up to today. Before you do that, though, thank you guys for coming. You guys are awesome. Please be really active with your fingers and put in questions. And if you're really bold, on the little place where it shows attendees, you can put your hand up. We'll unmute you, and you can ask your question to Christy directly. And we'll kind of go back and forth between if it's relevant to answer a question while we're going, we'll do it. And if not, we'll wait till the end. And please ask them. Be interactive with us. So now, Christy, would you just give us sort of that follow-up after co college and beyond? Sure. So I, I studied theater and dance in college, and I also created a candle-making business that I that kind of gave me some extra spending money while I was doing college work. And I danced professionally for, well, for a couple of decades, <laughs> for at least a, a decade and a half after I got out of college and did did act some acting and that kind of thing. And I'm still I'm still in that world a little bit. Uh, and then I suffered an injury and that took me out. And I was at the same time starting my business Garden Nerd. And uh, that was after moving to L.A., having become a vegetarian and learning more. You know, as we learn more about our food system, of course, uh, a lot of it is scary. And so I wanted to take control over my my own food system. And so I started gardening and I started gardening in college, but then it became a love and a passion and a business when I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, so and now I have three, well, I have three books under my belt. I have another one coming out in a month. Well, I have another, <laughs> how do I say this? I've got, I've got gardening for geeks. I've got a digital book called 400 plus tips for organic gardening success. I've got uh, the book that's coming out in March, which is Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden. And I've just signed my first novel with HarperCollins uh, imprint, William Morrow, that's coming out in 2022. Oh, wow. So my, <laughs> my life By is By the way, if you guys don't again. know it, those are major public, that's a major publishing house. This book is gonna be good because they wouldn't take it otherwise. Because most really people, excited. their first novels, they self-publish, right, Christy? I mean, they're they're going to do something with, you know, XYZ Press or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. I worked very hard. I saw it. I, I got a lot of rejections. I did a lot of rewrites. And, uh, and I'm really excited to see this finally come to light of day with a, with a big five publisher. Very excited. Very cool. And... You've mentioned, and we've seen some of the images. You're you have a partner, it looks like, and um, and and any children. Um, so, how about that side of the bit? Ah, sure. So I am married to uh, I'm married to a physicist who went to UC Santa wow. Cruz, who is also a musician. He's a pianist, and he uh, sings. He grew up singing in a, the California Boys Choir, and he sings in. Perhaps some of your listeners have seen. Um, Angel City Corral, they were on season 13 yeah. of America's Got Talent. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's a tenor there. So we oh. um, we have enjoyed being part of that world for a long time since I've known him. We met in 2003. So we've been together for that, that long. And, um, and uh, we don't have children. We have six chickens. We have a hive of bees, and we have a wonderful cat named Mittens, who is really a dog in disguise. Do any of those chickens brood so you can have some chicks and get to get to see them raise those? Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, you're going to want to do that. You, I can just guess already from your personality, and it's only about a eight week effort. In other words, they'll be. And, and you won't have to do anything. I mean, it's going to be observation 
on your side. It really is. And and you can, you know, you can have interaction, but you don't have to. But it's amazing observation. So you'll yep. we, we, we have do. we have a mom with four right now that are nine weeks old and she literally just let them go on their own. I mean she's still around, but last week. And it's been a been a really cool eight weeks. Oh, that's cool. We do have one hen who goes broody at least twice a year. And I, every time I think I should just stick some fertile eggs under her and see what happens, but I have not, I've not done it and I haven't really wanted to, um, well, we don't have room for more chickens. We'd have to build a bigger coop. So we're stuck with six until somebody dies, then we can maybe expand the flock. But right now that's it. Yeah. Um, Tell me about that injury a little bit, not so much the specifics of it, and then I'll put the context. I bet that happens a lot more than the public understands from professional dancers, right? That injuries in their careers. Yeah, and an injury, you know, at a certain age, they don't heal. The injuries, I got injured a lot as a dancer, um, you know, being kicked in the nose or, toe, you know, toes bent backwards, whatever, things like that. Um, you know, I broke my ankle with a when a piano fell on me when I was a teenager. It healed. You know, I've I've never quite had the strength back in that ankle, but the same ankle when I was 37 turned under in a rehearsal doing some swing dancing. Very first move of the rehearsal, and it like I got tunnel vision and I like I was gonna throw up the whole thing. I'm like, well, something definitely happened here. And I did physical therapy, Pilates, like everything. And it just never, it would, it, its memory wouldn't let me have my, really wouldn't let me have my foot back. So I, um, I kept turning it over when I kept trying to go out and dance and, uh, and it just became, I just needed to back off and, and let it, let it relax and let it heal. And, and then gardening took over. So I've really been, I've really been building my business over the last decade or so. It's been 12 this will be 13 years that I've been doing Garden Nerd and it's definitely keeping me so busy. So uh, I can't say, I, I, you know, once a dance, they say once a dancer, always a dancer and it's weird not to be dancing, uh, but it is something that is always gonna be a part of me. Are you at all hindered walking, running, you know, riding a bike now? I mean, that that fine? No, it's fine. I just, uh, I just have this weird ankle that goes out every once in a while when I'm just walking in a straight line. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. So, yeah. So let's let's um, change focus to Garden Nerd. Um, we've had the great fortune of having uh, several other folks that have done sessions with us on on some kind of a gardening footing, and then obviously we've had some you know, mega speakers that have talked about a little larger scaling, you know, homesteading uh, scale to where you're producing for for yourself as well as others, but in a very local environment and doing it very naturally. Mark Shepard would be the first one to come to mind, but Evan Fold has been on with us and and uh, William Horvath from, from uh, Croatia and, uh, you know, lots of permaculturists. Um, and how they're incorporating gardens into their lives wherever they're at. I got some great news from my wife. Just minutes before um, this, we've had alpacas for the last 14 years now and still have them, but our herd has contracted some. And before we got them, no, no, it was after, we had about a third of an acre in a garden that we had an amazing partner with 80 different varieties by the way we're very arid here we're we get 12 to 13 inches of rainfall oh. um so everything has to be um have some kind of an irrigation circumstance um and so anyway she just came in and told me that we've now contracted enough that that same garden area that we had 10 years ago probably we can use back again for a garden. We've had a much smaller circumstance since then, but um, this will we'll be able to expand that again this year. But so now take us into the garden, the garden nerd. And so you, your injury occurs. Now give us a little more detail on, on what you've done. 
Well, sure. So I have two gardens of my own. I am right when I got to LA, I saw a community garden, which is walking distance from where I live now, very deliberately. Uh, uh, it's called Ocean View Farms Organic Community Garden, and it is the second largest community garden in Los Angeles. And I put my name in for a plot back in 1997 and got that plot eight months later, back in the day, that was the, the length of the waiting time. Now it's like four to five years. Wow. And it's a 15 by 15 square foot patch that I implemented a method called square foot gardening, which is one of the biointensive methods where you can grow a lot of stuff in a small space. And then uh, in 2007, uh, we bought a house in Mar Vista, which is less than a mile away from that garden. And I have a spot in my backyard for another garden that is 12 by 17 with raised beds. They're made out of either wood or Trex decking, which is one of the only composite lumbers that is, it's made out of recycled materials, but it also can have direct soil contact. And then I've got fruit trees in the front yard. We have some citrus and some stone fruits in the front yard and some fruit trees in pots in the backyard. And I've been slowly taking over the rest of the yard little by little. We've got blackberries and um, artichokes in pots and some tree kale, which is a permaculture, you know, perennial vegetables are key. It's part of the permia, permia uh, per, ah, sorry. It's part of the permaculture methodology is that perennial vegetables send down deeper roots and don't use as much water, which here in Los Angeles, we get, we've, we've only gotten two days of rain so far and about an inch and a half in our, in our rainy season. So we generally get somewhere between nine and 15 inches of rain a year, 15 on a good year. And this is well, not, a, not a good year. We're, we're probably not even getting nine. And uh, so my gardens are in, you know, kind of surrounding me at all times. And as, uh, as it goes, I have clients all over Los Angeles from Malibu to Redondo Beach and out to Pasadena and, I've been doing Zoom consultations since the pandemic hit, and I've I've had students taking class from Spain and Canada and uh, as far away as there, and um, and I have clients that have been calling me from up north or you know other states. So it's been kind of cool. It's been very cool. Is so. How soon after you began? the gardening yourself, did you start to teach of, of any way, either personal or in groups or in, in events or so on? That's a good question. When I started gardening, uh, it was around 1993 <laughs> when I started gardening. And when I got the plot at Ocean View Farms, uh, you know, eight years later, whatever it was, you know, six years later, I can't do math. That's a thing. I gave up doing math. Uh, but anyway, the... <laughs> <laughs> just calculators that's all I use uh but you know a few years later um when I got the plot after a couple of years of being there I I found that people started asking me a lot of questions and when I gave them the answers they'd be like you know kind of a lot about this you might want to do this for a living I'm like okay so I made plans to leave my day job I was working in a development office for a private school doing fundraising uh for the financial aid department and and then I decided to pull the plug on that and go full-time with Garden Nerd. And it's been like that ever since. So I've been mostly self-taught. I've taken a lot of you know, courses from very well-known experts like John Jevons and his Grow Biointensive Method from Dr. Elaine Ingham, who does soil biology, microbiology. Uh, stuff like that and and self you know i was a sponge i learned as much as i could as fast as i could and of course you learn how to garden by gardening because it, no one gardening book is going to be suitable for every area most gardening books are not written for where i live anyway um, they're written for places that get snow and shut down for the winter whereas that's our best growing season and so it's you know it became um it became a thing. And then I, I started blogging in 2007. I started my podcast in 2007. I actually started blogging earlier. It was 2005 was my first blog post. And then started podcasting. And 
from my blog, I was approached by um, Adams Media to write my first gardening book, Gardening for Geeks. Uh, and that was 2013 that that came out. And recently, so just this, the sorry, it's 2021 now, but in 2020, Gardening for Geeks was re-released. I updated it and republished it with Fox Chapel uh, Publishing. And so it's got six new profiles, uh, plant profiles and some updated terminology and whatnot. And, um, and so they liked my blog and asked me to, to write a book. And then the, the, after 10 years of doing a podcast, I decided to create a digital compilation of the tips from the, the first 10 years of the podcast, because it was the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week, a two minute quick podcast, because at the time, shorter podcasts were getting more notice. And so I was like, I'll do a two minute podcast. And so I put out weekly tips on this podcast. And at the end of 10 years, I had this collection of really great tips. So I put them all into a digital book uh, called um, 400 Plus Tips for Organic Gardening Success. And I self-published that on Amazon as a digital book only because it is links. It has just all kinds of links, hyperlinks to resources, great websites, great seed catalogs, great, um, you know, ideas, concepts about gardening techniques, etc. And so there was no way to really publish that into a physical book. So I put it into a digital book. And that is, you can see on your screen there, a um, an Amazon Kindle book, which you, if you don't have a Kindle, you can download the app onto any device. Uh, and then Last year, um, I was asked by Cool Springs Press to write a book about, uh, they had a book in mind called Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden. And they saw me as being the right person to write that book because I specialize in small space biointensive gardening. And that is um, where I ended up writing. I was, I was book. showing the Kindle app real quick, right oh. there. So it's right there. Slap right onto your phone and, and read that book, which, by the way, $5.99 for that, folks. Kindle books probably average $13 to $15, and, and so that's a really great price. So. Yeah, and, and that book is sorted by season, so you can jump to wherever you are in the calendar year and start reading up on the tips for that season, and it, you'll find it helpful throughout the, the, throughout the year. Um, and... Let's see. So then, so grow your own mini fruit garden specializes in small space fruit growing. And it's about growing, you know, anything from fruit trees to strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, caneberries, et cetera, in a small space. And that's from whether you have only a balcony to work with or a little bit of land. But most books are not geared towards people who have very little space to grow. And this one is. So all my apartment dweller clients out there, all my folks with you know condos and and tiny backyards or not very much sunlight, this is this is the book that is going to help them achieve fruit in their yards. Um, and so that brings us up to present day, pretty much. Awesome. Um, if in a given week, let's say, or you could you pick the time frame, and and in what you eat yourself. Tell us things you eat out of your own garden and, and how, how that fits in compared to what you would have had to buy at the store. Right. So depending on what time of year it is, I've, I've got right now, it's, I'm, I'm picking a lot out of the garden. I've got all my salad greens, arugula, uh, mustard greens, 14 different kinds of lettuces, some really kind of rare, interesting varieties like this stuff called minutina, which is it looks kind of like grass. Uh, but it's actually a salad green. It's very tasty. I like to grow mosh. I've got, um, uh, I've been harvesting broccoli, uh, four different kinds of broccoli. I have 14 different kinds of kale growing that I'm harvesting right now. I've got um, oranges and lemons and tangerines that are coming off the trees out front. And I, well, I just pruned back the blackberries. They're not going to be ready for a couple more months, but we'll have blackberries at some point soon. Um, and then the, you know, in the, in the summer, so I'd say about 70 to 80% of my produce, uh, produce comes from the garden or from 
bartering. So we'll trade honey or eggs for something someone else is growing in the neighborhood. I've got friends with avocado trees and fig trees. And so we try and uh, trade. And um, it's been nice to feel like we were covered during the pandemic. So I was, I looked out in the garden and was like, okay, we're good for at least a few weeks for sure. And uh, um, I also pretty much all of our herbs come from the garden as well. So cilantro, parsley. Um, oh, I forgot about all the root veggies. Basil when it's growing, which is not now, but when it, when it is spring, we got that. I'm growing carrots and parsnips. I just sowed some beets. I've got chard growing. And I do a lot of cover cropping as well. So I'm growing some shelling peas as a cover crop. Sometimes I grow a little bit of wheat just to have it because uh, I do make my own sourdough bread and I'll mill it, I'll mill it here and then make a, make some bread with it. So that's fun. But I do supplement from the grocery store and the farmer's market for things that are like dry goods, rice, um, beans, uh, things that I don't grow like onions and garlic. I'll buy that from from the store. I do grow green onions as a perennial bed uh, uh, because I, I generally eat low FODMAP. So onions and garlic are not low FODMAP, but uh, green onion tops are. So if you grow green onions and just keep green, uh, uh, pinching off the greens parts, it'll keep growing for about three or four months. So that's what I do. I just have this patch of green onion tops that I pick regularly. Um. Got to ask about the question all gardeners or non-gardeners or ones that did it and then quit. Weeds or, or getting rid of the stuff you don't want. How much of your time does that take and how do you deal with it? Well, because I use small space biointensive gardening methods, they are designed to grow things really close together so you barely have any weeds in the spaces that you're growing. Uh, because the plants are grown so close together, they form a living mulch and that blocks out the sun and it keeps the soil moist because they're not losing water to evaporation as much and the weeds don't generally grow. Uh, so I maybe spend five minutes weeding that part of my garden. The other parts of my landscape, I have to spend a little bit more time on, uh, but we basically, our entire yard is covered with a thick layer of mulch. So I really don't have to weed very much at all. Um, if you put down a three to four inch layer of mulch, chip bark anywhere, and I will, uh, I don't know if this is available every in every state, but there's this website called chipbark.in as an industry, and um, sorry, chipdrop.in, uh, and they will connect tree trimmers with homeowners, and instead of having to take their tree tripping, trimmings to the dump, they take them to your house for free. And so we got a delivery of 17 cubic yards or 20 cubic yards of that for free, spent a day spreading it all out. And so I really don't have any weeding to do. I think, uh, you know, nature abhors bare soil. So she's gonna work hard to cover it with uh, biomass whenever she can. And so if you keep it covered with mulch or plant material, then you don't have to worry about weeding very often at all. Um, a, a specific question, what brand of grinder do you have for your flour your wheat flour or, sure. or do you, is it one you would recommend and i'm assuming it's a hand grinder although maybe not but no nope. <laughs> no i uh so let's see i started with a mock mill attachment for a kitchenaid mixer that i oh, won okay. i won from a, a mock mill party i guess you could say uh, it was a bread a bread bakers gathering and mock mill was there promoting their new products and so i won one and it attaches to the front of the KitchenAid at the motor and uh, it's a slower mill than their standing models. And I recently for Christmas, in fact, just this last year, got a standing model. I've upgraded to a standing model and Mock Mill is really great. German engineering, they are the, the founder of Mock Mill is also the founder of the Como Mill. And so it's got the same inner workings basically. It's just less expensive and um, it takes up about the same footprint as the box did for my my attachment mill. So I felt like I could find that I had the space for it in the pantry. So it's sitting there staring at me, waiting for me to uh, to mill something. I haven't quite got, gotten to it yet because uh, I haven't run out of I keep 
I keep a small amount of a bunch of different kinds of or, uh, organic heirloom wheats in my freezer after I've milled them so they're ready to go when I need to make bread. How much of your own seed gathering do you do? You know, that is one of the things that's a little harder to do in a small space garden because one of the important key factors for seed saving is isolation distances. And so for certain crops, uh, like lettuces and peas and beans, that's easy because they have no isolation distances. You don't have to grow them a certain distance apart from other crops in order to prevent cross-pollination. But things like, um, you know, some peppers, um, the brassicas, so all the kales, the broccoli, the cauliflower, all of those, they cross-pollinate with bees really, you know, they'll, they, bees will move their pollen from one to the other really easily. And so you have to create uh, an isolation somehow, either by covering them with netting or um, having them be up to like five miles apart. Um, but most of the time it's like 500 meters or something like that, which we don't have. So I am not saving those seeds, but I do save seeds for, gosh, I toss arugula seeds and cilantro seeds all over my yard when they go, I let them go to seed in the garden. And so when, when, I, when they're done, I'll scatter a bunch. So they end up volunteering all over the place. And I end up with this carpet of arugula, which is coming up right now in my, in my garden here at home. So I'll be picking, <laughs> picking arugula from that carpet. Um, but I do, I save lettuce seeds and I save tomato seeds um, and a, a lot of others that are are interesting and different. But uh, I have my seed collection stored in my refrigerator, so they're, it's, you know, safe. And I have a YouTube video on how to store your seeds so they last for years. I recently germinated an 18-year-old tomato seed with, uh, well, tomato seeds with 100% germination. So if you store their seeds correctly... You get uh, you get seeds that last a long time. How about those flying or crawling kinds of pests? We talked about weeds, but um, yeah. how, tell us about how you deal with those. Uh, most of the time, I opt for physical barriers uh, before I will reach for any bug spray. In fact, I, I don't generally recommend bug sprays at all uh, because they they may claim to not affect your beneficials. But, you know, if you think about it, the bad bugs are there for the good bugs to eat. I mean, if there aren't any bad bugs, there's nothing for the good bugs to eat. So you need to have a balance of both in your garden in order for this ecosystem that you're trying to create in your garden to have have this nice, uh, I want to say, uh, auto autopilot. You know, you want things to operate without you if possible. That's a permaculture philosophy where you set it up, you create habitats to attract good bugs to the garden. So we have a lot of flowers growing around the perimeter of the vegetable beds and we have a big tree that the birds nest in and we've got patches where hummingbirds will come in and get the nectar from and butterflies and I grow nasturtiums and the, all the aphids go to there instead of my broccoli, which is great. You want them in the nasturtiums, not in your broccoli. So those are trap crops. So I deal with mostly that. The bigger critters, like we have a rat problem like crazy. And, and since, since the pandemic started and having have gotten a lot of rain in 2000, end of 2019 into early 2020, the population boomed and they are out in force. So we do, I do use rat traps to, um, to get them uh, to reduce the population, to, you know, reduce the population to create more balance. Um, we do have opossums. We don't do anything about those. They are digging in the soil for grubs, but they're not interested in the food. And they also eat ticks and fleas and a bunch of other stuff. They eat the slugs and snails as well. So I have no snails, no slugs, very little, if ever, any of those. And uh, the opossums that nest behind uh, our wall uh, come out at night and kind of take care of that for us. So I'm really focused on creating the ecosystem to allow the wildlife to do what they do without eating my stuff. So I use floating row covers and bird netting to keep my crops protected while the rest of uh, the garden is open for roaming. By the way, I'm sure he won't mind this. We're friends and partners and a description that Mark Shepard uses, and it is his terminology, so 
if you use it, maybe remember, but otherwise just say, hey, I heard it somewhere. Is the, the whole ecological, you know, land management approach, Mark calls it strikingly terrific utter neglect. Yes. <laughs> so he uses the, the stun farming approach. The stun farming method. I have, I have heard that. And it is, it's what we're all aspiring to. And I think the, the neglect part, it, it works, it works to a lot of, <laughs> of an, well, I'd say, you know, there are times when we were traveling, I would go away for a couple of weeks and come back and my garden would look amazing without me. And I'd be like, oh man, I'm working too hard. <laughs> I'm working too hard. So it's, it is, it, there is some truth to that. Um, I think it's important though, to create those habitats. That's probably, you know, if there's one thing you can do, even if you don't have room for a garden, create a habitat for butterflies and pollinators and all of those. And then you get to enjoy the flowers and that's great too. What have you seen in a either positive, neutral or negative way related to pollinators? You know, we hear there's huge problems with bee population and community reductions. Have you seen any of that over your 17 or longer years now? Actually, longer than that, since 98. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen, I have not personally seen that because where I garden, we have good habitats. And so we see tremendous populations where we live and where we garden. The, um, I've read about those depletions, you know, beekeepers as a beekeeper so i have one hive and as a beekeeper i participate in what's considered natural beekeeping where we're not using any chemicals we're not we're not treating the hive for uh, varroa mites or anything it is a survival of the fittest kind of scenario we um we do not use foundation we don't uh we don't use plastic frames we let them draw their own comb we don't inspect them as often as some beekeepers do. And when we harvest, we leave a whole super behind for them. So they are completely uh, taken care of during our dearth, which is summer for us, when everything is dead and crisp because <laughs> there's no rain. Um, and so home beekeepers and urban beekeepers are actually seeing and helping to keep the populations of honeybees anyway um up it's it's where you see the industrial farm uh beekeepers who are bringing their hives to orchards and whatnot for pollination and driving them around on trucks where they're seeing increased winter losses and uh death colony collapse disorders in their hives uh, but as a home beekeeper i'm not experiencing that and urban locations are so diverse that the pollinators have a lot to work with so it's not bad if you're not using pesticides. So the big deal, of course, is to stop using any kind of chemical pesticides, herbicides, or fungicides completely. Just don't, don't use them. They run off into the ocean water. They cause algae blooms. They're damaging pest populations. They're harming a lot of creatures that rely, that bigger creatures rely on. So, you know, if you're killing the worms, then the birds don't have anything to eat. If you're killing the bees, then we die. That's just what it comes down to. So, we all have to do our part by letting nature participate in this planet that we live on because we're just guests, really. So what have you seen, let's call it first in your neighborhood, and then maybe now, let's say, in your influence because of garden nerds in terms of more people, the same number or less people doing gardening over the last number of years? Yeah, uh, well, certainly since the pandemic hit, seed sales have gone, well, they've run out, <laughs> honestly. Seed companies have had to stop selling seeds so that they can backfill orders. But so the population, the popularity went up tremendously in the last, uh, in the last year. The, my, my experience is that I always have people who are interested in gardening. My classes are always full. Every year I've been teaching the same course at Santa Monica College for three for every three times a year since 2008 and I always have a full class 
And it's from what I understand from the community education folks over there at Santa Monica College that my class has been consistently full and, and they, they have classes that aren't. So it's the kind of thing that I have new, young, brand new gardeners all the time coming in and the master gardener programs are full every year. They have, you know, they get 200 applications and they can only have, I think, 50 people in the class. So they get hundreds of applications every year. So the interest is definitely there and it's been going up especially since the pandemic, because people realize that they should be able to have a local food source right out their door for at least a few things, you know, just to have something. So I don't see this as a trend, it's a lifestyle. I have, um, you mentioned Elaine Ingham as somebody who you've, you've studied. Elaine's a huge friend of ours. We've had the great fortune of, of having her do six different sessions with us and when she comes on you know she'll she'll she and her her staff and colleagues will talk for an hour and a half and then there'll be three and a half hours of questions right and then yeah. she'll go forever and um so she's amazing but give us some other names you mentioned a couple but who have greatly influenced you in your gardening um as you as you move forward Sure. I mentioned John Jevons. Uh, I, I studied with him and his bro, uh, grow biointensive. So his the, the, the school is called Ecology Action, and they teach a system called grow biointensive. And grow biointensive is in more than 150 countries. And it really teaches you how to take what you have uh, which is usually crappy soil <laughs> and and very little else and turn it into a thriving garden that can sustain you and provide you with some commerce that you can, so an income. Um, so his work has been very influential in my life. Um, and he's, we're, we're still lucky enough to have him. He's still alive. So um, learn from him if you can. I was also, I think my first gardening book was Mel Bartholomew's square foot gardening book. He passed away last two years ago, I think now. Uh, and he's got a whole system of growing things in small spaces based on four by four square foot beds. So I recommend him as for new gardeners, especially people who need things a little more orderly in their lives. Um, Toby Hemingway is a permaculture uh, person who left us not too long ago. And uh, his work is, you know, and just all the permaculture folks. So David Holmgren and, um, oh my God, Bill Mollison, of course. And uh, Lott, I, yeah, well, so, so right. And, and I, I feel like on, on the, the side of local, well, I have a bunch of local influencers who are part of, part of my world. Uh, so the folks who started the seed library of Los Angeles, uh, you know, seed libraries are really important because they mean having locally adapted seed where you live. Uh, so there's a whole collection of seed libraries and we used to all get together at the Heirloom Expo up in Santa Rosa, California every year for the convention of seed librarians. And I've sat in on a couple of those meetings and they talk about how to, how to, do, how to start a seed library, how to keep it going and all of that. And so the Seed Library of Los Angeles, slola.org, is run by one of our local uh, heroes, David King and, and company. He's got, a, a, I think our current president, Azita, is doing a great job in, in the pandemic when we can't meet of keeping that running. And I feel like there are others that I'm forgetting, but um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of people who I have read and learned from over the years. Let's backtrack a little bit now and uh, let's go way back to your childhood. Um, mm -hmm. You have gardening interests as a kid? You know, I was a picky eater as a kid and I did not want to eat any vegetables uh, until my parents grew peas and carrots out in the garden and I would only eat them raw, never cooked because they tasted gross once they were cooked. So uh, that's how I felt at the time though. And 
you know, I'd only eat iceberg lettuce with no dressing, all of that kind of stuff. So I was not really into food or, or gardening or vegetables as a kid at all. Uh, it, um, but they did grow food and we had fruit trees. And I recall that they never did anything to tend these trees and they produced abundantly in really a neglected soil. So I can't explain it, neither can they. Uh, but we used to drive our red wagon around the neighborhood with a scale and some paper bags to sell the overabundance of nectarines that were coming off of our, our tree. And my mother used to eat green apples off of our tree that before they were ripe. She'd eat them when they were sour, sour, sour. And then we ate the oranges. We had always really good oranges. So I ate a lot of oranges growing up. And um, we had strawberry patches around the house that I would pick from if the neighborhood kids didn't get to them first. Because I lived two doors away from a, an elementary school and kids would walk to and from school and would, and when they discovered the strawberry patches out front, they would pick all of them clean. So I didn't get many of those. <laughs> but that was most of, my, most of my experience as a kid. I just thought of a, a question that's, that's completely um, sort of off the track of what I would normally ask, but um, I'm going to ask that in a little bit. But what um, I think I know the answer to this one, but this is a question that I always try to ask only because you shared it at the very, maybe at the very first, but if it's different, that's fine. Tell us about some incident that happened in your life that at the time it happened, you just thought it was the most devastating thing that could ever occur. And then later you realize that it really happened for good. And I, like I said, I may be guessing at that, but because of what you talked about with your injury, but maybe it's something else. So. Gosh, I feel like I had a lot of those moments, but I can't think of any of them right now. Um, I, nothing is jumping to mind uh, except for that, except for the, the injury, you know, having torn up my ankle, all the ligaments in my ankle, um, it opened the door for me to become this gardening expert that I didn't, that I didn't know I had in me. So uh, that's, that is, I think that is really what it is. What do you hope to be doing 10 years from now? <sighs> well, I would really like all of the work that I have done so far to be paying me dividends by then. Uh, you know, sometimes it feels like I'm putting out all kinds of content and into the ether. And, you know, I think you probably experience this too with doing this kind of a, a podcast where or you send the send the work out to the world and you're not sure like is anybody out there um, anybody there? Is anyone there you know uh so i've got this body of work that i've created so far and uh someone once told me that my my life purpose has a 50 to 60 year gestation period and that i'm not really going to come into it until now well i've hit that <laughs> So I'm like, okay, let's get going. So, um, so I'm hoping that uh, that I want to be writing more books. I want to be relaxing and enjoying my own garden more, and uh, and really inspiring as many people as possible to change the world themselves through living lighter on the planet and getting more in touch with their food and celebrating biodiversity on the planet. Um, the question that came out of nowhere that frankly, I probably wouldn't ask very often, but again, I'm going to just throw it here. Do you, have you heard of the group Kiss the Earth? It's a local. Kiss uh, the LA. ground. Kiss, yeah, kiss, yeah the ground. kiss the ground. Yes, I am, uh, I am familiar with them. Well, one of the things they hoped to do early on, and they, they have not had success with this, but was to get a very well-known influencer, somebody in the sports community, somebody in the entertainment community, because LA has obviously got huge numbers of people in both those spaces. Mm -hmm. um, has anybody that is a influencer in one of those spaces that you know of embrace gardening and at some point would be willing to, to say it. Now, I'm going to give a local example. 
we have a football player here who was is probably our second or third most well-known. John Elway's probably the most well-known. Peyton Manning's probably the second most. Third most is a guy named Von Miller. Von Miller, the year after he was the NFL's most valuable player, said, I'm becoming a chicken farmer. And, I mean, really made a big deal about it. And I have a chicken farm commercially and heard from others that the number of chicken farmers urbanly in the Denver area just went, woo. And I don't know, because Vaughn has not talked about it now in several years, of whether he's still involved at all or whether that huge growth just went like this. But are there any of those kinds of influencers in the gardening area that you know of? Well, I know that uh, Ryan Gosling had a had a bit of a, a spike where people, he got into gardening and everyone was following him on that. Um, Rosario Dawson is actually one of the spokespeople for for Kiss the Ground, along with Ron Finley. Right, and I knew that uh, that was what they were hoping to sh- would be really helpful for them. Yeah, it's hard because most of, because I have a few celebrity clients, but they're, you know, I keep them confidential and they're, they're putting it out on their social media. Uh, but I don't, I don't uh, exploit that. You know, I don't, I don't exploit them. As, yeah, you wouldn't you want know. to do it. And they really have to do it themselves. They have to have right, that exactly. motivation. So. Yeah. And most of them are like, no, I just want to garden. I don't want to be a spokesperson for gardening. So they, they just want to enjoy the, they actually, you know, want to just garden, which is cool. So well, that's by the what way, I want. That's one of the things that when it happens, you're going to start to see some of your fruit. Yeah. Really are. And that, that's when it would happen. Question from the audience. What would be five great starter vegetables for someone to start their gardening journey? And I happen to know this person that asked the question. And she probably is first. She's very serious. If she decides to do it, she's probably going to. But I, I really believe she hasn't done any real gardening. Okay. There are some really easy crops to grow from seed. Uh, First of all, I'll just preface by saying if you want to get seeds uh, transplants from the nursery, go ahead and start that way. That's great because then it makes it easier to grow a lot of other vegetables. But from seed, if you want to put a pack of seeds, you know, sprinkle some seeds in the ground and grow them from seed. I always say, and this isn't a sexy vegetable, but (laughs) radishes are really easy to grow because they germinate within three to five days usually, or you know, 10 at the most. And so you have instant satisfaction with them actually showing up. They are mature in 30 days and you can eat them raw. And I love roasting them with toasted sesame oil and uh, so- some soy sauce and they're delicious with some green onions. Um, peas are pretty easy to grow. They can take a little longer to germinate, but they are, really satisfying they are my garden snack they don't make it into the house so when once they grow you need to give them a trellis but once they grow you can pick them and eat them straight out of the garden they're just delicious uh lettuces so all kinds of lettuces are available out there from your bib to your butterhead to your romaine type lettuces and loose leaves and oak leaves and all of that and most of the time there are seeds available for varieties you never get in the grocery store so you can start those seeds. They'll germinate usually within 10 days, plant them six inches apart. Um, You can uh, either buy six packs or four inch pots from the nursery and then grow them at home. Uh, Either way, they're really easy and they are what I call a factory vegetable where they grow from the center of the plant and you just keep harvesting the outer leaves and those will keep producing. That one plant will keep producing for three to four months. So your investment is much less than your than your yield, which is great. The the um, there are a lot of vegetables that grow that way too, like Swiss chard and kale will grow. They're also factory vegetables, whereas radishes and carrots and parsnips and beets are one and done. Where you grow it, you pull it, you eat it, and that's it, and you have to replant. So starting with factory vegetables are a really good idea. So I said radishes, which are uh, one and done. Peas, which are a, Sort of, you know, they're a factory vegetable. They're going to grow a long vine and you're going to keep picking stuff off of them. All kinds of lettuces are factory vegetables. 
arugula is a factory vegetable and germinates just like radishes really quickly. They're in the same family. So uh, you pick the outer leaves. And, um, and then of course, herbs like, uh, so quickest herbs to grow, depending basil's on the time pretty, of year. Basil's pretty quick. Basil's pretty quick. It can be persnickety though. So you'd probably want to start with one from from the nursery and and basil please just grow it in the spring and summer don't try to grow it in the winter it doesn't grow it's it's a warm winter herb whereas parsley cilantro dill uh are are uh cool season crops so those will do so much better in the cool season early spring or where i live if you live in the where the winters are mild uh fall and, and winter and spring are going to be the time to grow those and i love growing cilantro i love i'm throw seeds out all over the place and they just kind of spring up everywhere. I have a whole cilantro patch that's growing and, uh, and those are really easy. And then if you want to do other herbs there that are perennial herbs, thyme, oregano, and sage are good ones to grow because they, they, they really don't need much and they will keep producing year after year. So your investment there is good. Quick um, little side question. So everybody, we're, we're four minutes from the top of the hour. We like to be really respectful of our speakers and make sure that we don't take too much. This has just been amazing. If you guys have got some questions, throw them into the question box and we'll make sure to get to those. But I have a couple more questions. And one of them was, and this is real quick, uh, are you aware of any or urban foragers that have courses and or again, visibility in the LA area. So the most popular urban forager just moved out of LA, but she still does classes every once in a while. Her name is was Erica Waldman, now Erica Gift. And uh, she's a she teaches these fantastic uh, webinars on foraging in urban spaces. Uh, if you can f uh, get connected with her, she's wonderful. The reason I said local is that we have an amazing one here named Kate Armstrong. And Kate actually does courses all over the world and probably could come to LA and within months be amazing. But every place is different. And right. what 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 there is in the LA area for urban, and by the way, what, what urban foraging means, these are plants that you can eat that grow in your lawn. Dandelions are the ones that are the most obvious. A number of, of species of bach is another one. But Shoot, stuff growing in cracks in sidewalks, quite honestly, might be edible. Um, Kate does a great job of telling you how you can very quickly know just by using your smell and a little bit of your, your taste whether something's poisonous or not and, and whether you should not eat it. But uh, I, I think urban foragers and gardeners like yourself are always going to be really great teammates and, and doing things quite together. Um, Let's end with this. We do have one more question here, real simple one. I'll answer it. Absolutely, there will be a recording, Azita. And about 36, 48 hours from now, it'll be available. We'll be giving it to Christy. She can use it however she likes and whatever her her area and her, her marketing and such are. But there will be a recording. I'm going to hope that we can get Christy back sometime again in the future. Um, Christy, please know, you come to Denver or the Denver area when this pandemic's over, you're welcome to come to my place anytime. I'd love to show you what we're doing with aquatic. So the aquatic version of what you're doing in a natural kind of way. Nice. And that's, um, I want to end with letting Christy give us her final thoughts. Maybe tell us the best way to get a hold of her. And we've been showing things from all of her different sources, but we'll let her tell us that. And then, and then I think we'll end with that. So I'll look for questions. And if there are a couple of more of them come up, we'll throw them. But in, it's to you, Christy. Let us give us some parting thoughts. Sure. The best way to find me is to go to gardennerd.com. That's G-A-R-D-E-N-E-R-D.com. Although if you do put two N's in Garden Nerd, you'll end up there too, because I own both domain names. Both, right? You were um, smart. But, yeah. Like, get that boat. So that is the website. And from there, you will see links to Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and my YouTube channel. You'll find my books there as well. And um, 
uh, that's you'll find the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream. And that is the best way to find me. Awesome. What other parting thoughts? Oh, parting thoughts. Well, hang in there, folks. Stay home, stay safe, and wear a mask. And let, I didn't want to go there, but I am real quickly. Are things <laughs> getting better? Or are they stable or worse COVID-wise, just in your area? It's worse. It's uh, one out of every three people in Los Angeles has been infected with COVID-19. So we are, our hospitals are absolutely overwhelmed. And so we are doing our part by staying home and wearing masks whenever we go outside. It's really not a joke. Do it. Just do it. Wow. Christy, yeah. this has been awesome. I get, um, no, you know, we have got to help this lady monetize what she's doing. You know, I made a, I made a big deal and it is a huge deal, but she's writing a novel. She has these other books. I will tell you folks, authors don't make that much money from what they write. Uh, they really don't. Even <laughs> if they're incredibly, you've got to be Baldacci or all those folks you've all, all heard about green, you name it. Um, Again, I've written several books myself, and you just you don't get it. It's not the publishers do fine in, in many cases, but not the authors. Um, That's right. So please, um, she has a Patreon site. I saw that. Uh, maybe think about that. If there's anything you can do to help, um, we we want to do what we can do to help. As I said, you're welcome to come here. I'd love to visit you after the pandemic, where, if possible. I get back to LA a lot. Um, so love to make that. Um, but thank you so much, Christy. You're it. welcome. And thanks for the offer. I will I, let me know when you're here. <laughs> All right. And Areeb and Mark, thank you from what you do behind the glass. Audience, always, we wouldn't be here without you. And Mark, why don't you take us out? Thank you so much, Christy. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.